This is episode 324 of the Anarchist News Podcast, a digest and or conversations on anarchist activity ideas and comments from the previous week on anarchistnews.org. This is for the week of July 22nd through July 28th, 2023. What's due this week? Cyberpunk 2077 and Odyssey through capitalist hellscapes from the commoner by Javier Sethness. I don't think Seth Ness is at his best when reviewing games. At any rate, while he drops plenty of game names without positioning them at all, and plenty of poly or social jargon, this is a very off-the-cuff review. He does not explain conclusions or assumptions, like notably what is white supremacist about the Haitian straight gang, how Pan Am is reminiscent of Lara Croft, and what that has to do with entrenching heteronormativity, etc., It's assumptions and shortcuts all the way down. This is also the most aggravating kind of review of a piece of fiction, as it takes the bits that fit into a political ideology and emphasizes those, while ignoring the pieces that make a work of fiction something that is not a treatise. Filler Collective, the counter-info site, is calling it quits. From Filler Collective at fillergph.wordpress.com. Mid-August marks the end of this 10-year local news project. This announcement talks about why they started the project, what it took to become the force that it is today, what they think it has accomplished, and thanks the people who have kept it alive with communiques and other texts. Quote, We are confident that there is writing published here that has helped anarchists living in the so-called Greater Pittsburgh area to not only clarify their ideas, but also to spread them. The site sometimes helped bridge communication gaps between different scenes, and we are proud to have opened up space for locally specific autonomous discussions and debates, sometimes even interesting ones. So then, if shit's so hot, then why are we dropping the counter-info project now? Three simple reasons. One, we think others can do it better. Two, we believe good projects quit while they're ahead. Three, long-form autonomous news and discourse in this city deserves a platform that is unmarred by its affiliation with a bunch of shit-for-brains punks and mean queens who still toe the crass font party line. (laughs) Unquote. (laughs) And they provide a primer for those who want to start their own such project. This group has been funny and diligent, and we hope they go on to kick even more ass. How Signal walks the line between anarchism and pragmatism from techmagoftheageswired.com. The author provides a readable for non-techies history of the anarchist roots of Signal and its pains to maintain itself as a business. Quote, fittingly for an organization formerly led by an anarchist, Signal lacks a sustainable business model, to the point where you might almost call it anti-capitalist. It has survived so far in ways that don't seem replicable and that may alienate some users. Signal is largely funded by a big loan from a WhatsApp founder, and that loan has already grown to $100 million. It has also accepted funding from the U.S. government through the Open Technology Fund. Because Signal can't sell its users' data, it has recently begun developing a business model based on directly providing services to users and encouraging them to donate to Signal in-app. But to get enough donations, the nonprofit must grow from 40 million users to 100 million. Unquote. And so on. There are plenty of anarchist touch points, though Anon correctly points out that touching them doesn't mean understanding them. That is, the reference to temporary autonomous zones demonstrates little idea of what a TA is is about. If you didn't know why Marlin Spike is a big deal, now you will, for whatever that's worth. Also introduces some of us to the word react G. Live and learn. Plastic in utero number one final run from Artemis Graham Thoreau. This zine already got an announcement, which is mostly repeated here, the only real addition being that the final 13 are being printed? What? Um, if you want to submit something, it'd be printed with the likes of Julian Langer and John Zerzan, but also perhaps with Sasha Engel. There's addresses and stuff, again. <laughs> Gatherings and Global Justice from PM Press by Gabriel Kuhn. Kuhn here attempts to address the inability of an artist in the Philippines to get to the conference in St. Emier by talking up the artist's actions and info shop in Manila, and also advertising a book on anarchism in the Philippines put out by PM Press. Then Anon accused the artist of being a transphobic manarchist, just to top it off. Chile, words of anarchist prisoners from Act for Freedom Now. Five prisoners, Francisco, Juan, Marcelo, Monica, and Joaquin, speak about their cases, prison, and Chile. Quote, 
The call is to raise revolutionary solidarity initiatives, always bearing in mind that our comrades are imprisoned for concrete actions against the established order and its defenders, and that the best way to show solidarity is to continue along the path of conflict from the autonomy and free will of groups, individuals, and communities in struggle against the existent. Unquote. Lots of solidarity call-outs to other struggling folks and prisoners. That was Chile, Words of Anarchist Prisoners. Rupture Magazine number one from Anon. Announcing the rebirth of print media. So cute. Quote, a revitalization of anarchist print media is underway. Rupture Mag is the beginning of that here in D.C. In other U.S. cities, there is the Chaos Star in New York City, Filler in Pittsburgh, and Anathema in Philly. Some of these issues will be free locally to those in the know. Unlike other releases from this distro, we'll have to sell a significant portion of these zines to cover the cost of issue two. That being said, we hope that future issues can be full color and professionally printed on 11 by 17 glossy paper, unquote. There is also the new Hammer Time out of the Bay Area. Can never have too many dead trees. Everyone knows this. Words by Monica and Francisco at the beginning of the trial from Act for Freedom Now. Two of our more consistent prisoner writers speak about their upcoming battle. Quote, These three years have... Why are you staring at me? <laughs> Quote, These three years have meant the strengthening of ties of affinity and solidarity with various anarchist spaces of this territory and other distant ones as well as being part of the coordination of anarchist and subversive prisoners, raising multiple initiatives of struggle together with a clear anti-prison perspective. In short, these years have meant facing life in prison with dignity, never ceasing for a moment to be an active part of the informal anarchist galaxy, consistently trying to break with the exclusive role of prisoner to which power tries to delimit us. Unquote. Good luck to them. That was words by Monica and Francisco. Words from Comrade Gabriel Pombo da Silva from Act for Freedom Now. Touching, fierce, and brief words on getting out and on suffering inside and on looking forward to healing not only for himself but also for his daughter and partner. Quote, As life and death is a bureaucratic procedure for those who conquer more than they convince, when the release order reached its final rung, just like that, they put me suddenly before the doors of one of their prisons. They did not even take the trouble to warn the lawyers, comrades, or family of this fact, forcing me to endure 40 interminable minutes standing there like an imbecile until a prisoner let me talk on the phone. Unquote. They do like to jerk people around no matter what. That was words from Da Silva. Acharya? Sure. Acharya. 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 Review. Anarchy or Chaos. <laughs> MPT Acharya and the Indian Struggle for Freedom. From Asian Review of Books by Maximilian Morch. A non-anarchist writes about a biography of a maybe or sometime anarchist. Quote, despite dying in relative obscurity in 1954, Acharya's intellectual contributions endure with over 200 articles published in Indian and international anarchist publications. The book, in its own words, is an attempt to recover a life like Acharya's and to think more broadly about its implications for wider political movements, such as the Indian freedom struggle and the international anarchist movement. It succeeded in this aim, and its academic contribution is as important as it is impressive. Unquote. This review speaks to the significance of Acharya, so it seems like it's of interest to those interested in India more than to those interested in anarchist ideas. But hard to tell. My Mom is Spectacular from Support Eric King, an essay written as part of the requirements to get out of prison for fuck's sake. This is Eric's ode to his hardworking single mother of two boys' mom. It's more Christian than previous writings by Eric, but maybe he wants his mom to like it. Anarchists Upset Swiss Train Schedules from mainstream Swiss site SwissInfo.ch Quote, the sprawling five-day event involving thousands of anarchists has centered on the Swiss town of saint Emile, but some <laughs> participants have decided to camp too close for comfort to the railway tracks. Unquote. Apparently some people don't think of the trains running on time as being a callback to fascism. Whatever. I thought it was funny. Fictitious splits over the Spanish Revolution... From Red and Black Notes by Matt Crossan, Crossan talks about a presentation by a Leninist in which the Leninist doesn't accurately describe anarchism 
even the kind of anarchism that Crossan supports, which is the mass organizationalist kind. It's well written, so painless on that level, but if you like the Spanish Revolution, then maybe you already know what is covered here, and at any rate, who wants to listen to a Leninist talk about history anyway? Or is that me being essentialist? Standing room only for launch of anarchist popular power. From Black Rose Federation. Workers' power authors talk about how to organize workers to make a revolution in an event on Uruguayan history at a Tacunas space in Oakland. An interview with the Federation of Anarchism Era, Part 2, from The Commoner. This is the second part of an interview that happened in 2022 with the addition of two questions that they asked recently. Quote, Today, more than four months since the revolt, people and their resistance groups need logistical support to continue and expand their activities. The fire of this revolt is still alive and strong. It is just momentarily under the ashes, ready to blaze out at the next opportunity. Everyone knows this. Reactionary forces are gearing up to steal the revolution. We must do the same to resist them and win the future, unquote. I hope everyone does know it. There is a lot here, including being atheist in an overwhelmingly religious state, etc. That was an interview with Anarchism Era, Part 2. Ten Theses on Anti-Tacoonism. Why is it written like it's Sun-O? I don't know. Ten... <laughs> on anti-dacoonism. It's not feces, it's just a fart. <laughs> it's just a fart. Also, if you shit on my chair, I'm going to be unhappy with you. Why? It's wood. There's no, no cushion. No. It's just wood. No. <laughs> Ten theses on anti-dacoonism from scenes from the Atlanta forest. The dacoonists and the anti-dacoonists are at it again. Here, the Tacunists do their thing with numbered theses, listing their complaints about a group called Ungrateful Hyenas. But apparently not just the Ungrateful Hyenas, because there are also running dogs. Is that supposed to be a clever play on words? It's not working for me. And accusations are flying every which way. There are certainly people who are involved in the SAD who are furious with Tacunists, and there are probably Tacunists who are very sympathetic. But these missives are wordy, flamey, and hyperbolic. Sometimes that can be fun, but here it's tiresome. The thing that has caught people's imagination in the comments is the attenuated but compelling accusation that conspiracy-mindedness is subtly anti-Jewish. In complicity with Monica and Francisco, one Natterji car is gone from Act for Freedom Now, a communique. Quote, Natterji unlimitedly exploits the resources of the earth and drives the machinery of the capitalist system, creating rivers and rivers of blood. Blood of the people of the plundered villages, the workers, those who protest and those who do not, even those who pay them unbearable prices to amass their wealth. For every euro they earn, one car less. It only takes a few household materials and arming ourselves with our well-deserved thirst for revenge to go out one night to cause damage. Unquote. So, some people placed an incendiary device in one of Natterji's cars. Right on. Between Collapse and Persistence, from Tierra Nueva on Medium.com. Translated by Anarchist News. An anarchist conference happened in Havana, Cuba. This is a very upbeat report on the workshops given over three days on things like historically relevant women activists, pedagogical experiments, and music. Quote, against this notion of the provisionality of all organizational management, a very generalized and assumed common sense rises up, which maintains that permanent centralized management in all spheres of social life is a triumph of comfort, well-being, and collective tranquility, for which the dominant educational systems seek to suppress individual responsibility and promote submission to various forms of authority, and at the same time competition among equals the perfect environment to reduce the idea of democracy to freely choosing who will exercise the centralized management of our existence as consumers of representative programs which represent of our passivity. Unquote. It is great to hear about things happening in Cuba. Good luck to them. Obituaries! El Flaco, our dear Horacio Suarez, has died. From another Facebook account, whatever. Old people, am I right? Quote, 
Horacio, born in Entre Rios, was an anarchist militant in the rebellious and proletarian Cordoba of the 60s and 70s. At that time, he could be seen as a teacher and neighborhood militant in Colonia Lola, distributing leaflets of the anarchist movement, debating in the Sunday anarchist gatherings, or riding his bicycle from here to there, conspiring, encouraging, organizing, spreading information, unquote. Relatable. Audio, Audio and video. video. <laughs> Ricardo Flores Magón and the peasants who ended a dictatorship from cool people who did cool stuff with Margaret Kiljoy an hour and 22 minutes an hour and 22 minutes and an hour and 9 minutes respectively another charming lesson on anarchist history on the Mexican Revolution and the most famous of the Magón brothers easiest way to get your weekly dose of history July 2023, by-elections and anarchy at the BBC, number one from a little big anarchism, I guess 45 minutes or something, quote, In this episode of Little Bigger Anarchism, we discuss the results of the July 2023 by-elections and their impact on British politics. Then we launch our new series, Anarchy at the BBC, by discussing the In Our Time episode on anarchism that aired in 2006, unquote. This is the non-sectarian segment of this week on Anarchist News. Moving on. Post-anarchism and psychoanalysis with Dwayne Roussel. From Cyberdandy on Anarchy.tube. 57 minutes. Announcing a new book of essays by Roussel. Roussel and Cyberdandy have been in roughly similar anarchist circles and are both interested in psychoanalysis. Roussel is not a bad speaker, and Cyberdandy is energetic and interested, so the talk is engaging. Also, fashion is present, as it should be. Very heady, but Cyberdandy does us a favor by starting out with some definitions for what that's worth. Your philosophy class for the week, if you're into that sort of thing. dreams, I see that town, Silent Hill. You promised you'd take me there again someday, but you never did. I'm alone right now, in our special place, waiting for you. to another reading from the Anarchist Library, where we bring you something relevant, topical, or at least interesting, written by and or about anarchists. This week, I'll be reading an excerpt from Fighting Collective Amnesia, Recovering Our Memory, and Staying Alert by KCCW. Be sure to check out the Anarchist Library for this and other fine works, and you can join the conversation at shh, this is a library, at shh.anarchyplanet.com 
amnesiaconsciousness.org. How did this amnesia happen? We've come up with a few theories to explain our situation locally, if not nationally. First, we've, as authors and a general trend in Milwaukee anarchism, shifted away from insurrectionary anarchism. A few years ago, we knew that our reactions and rhetoric were going to catch the attention of the state and could result in serious consequences. Now that we've largely left that model behind for more mass movement-oriented organizing, it feels like what we're doing isn't as dangerous. Second, a significant number of people dedicated to the anarchist movement have moved away. The great migration of anarchists out of the Midwest hit Milwaukee hard, and our movement here looks very different than it did in 2010. Most of the changes have been good, but we've lost a lot of continuity. Many anarchists in Milwaukee today don't know what the movement looked like more than half a decade ago. A significant amount of collective knowledge has been lost. Perhaps less locally, during the period when Anarchist News was our major news source, we unironically referred to the anarchist scene. People saw it as a youth subculture rather than a political movement. They grew out of anarchism and took their knowledge with them when they moved on and joined society. People also burned out and depoliticized. When you're doing intense work, especially when you and your friends are facing legal or other consequences, dropping out becomes appealing. Sustained resistance takes energy, and when we don't take care of comrades, we lose them. Legal repression is another factor that takes people out of the movement. People who are incarcerated, on papers, or at risk of deportation, face greater risks to continue involvement with anti-capitalist resistance. The time, energy, and or funds just simply aren't always available. Losing people, whether to other cities, to burnout, or to prison, means that we lose momentum. We aren't a big enough movement or community to not take a hit when someone leaves. Starting fresh is exhausting. We can't keep starting over and reinventing the wheel every time people leave or enter the movement. Things like consensus, free speech, left unity, and nonviolence have been debated ad nauseum for years. While it's important to reassess things as situations change, at a certain point we need to move forward, and people with different ideas can do different work or work in different ways. We can't let ourselves get stuck in this analysis paralysis, or we end up being all talk and no action. Of course we know that you can't pick a side when you don't know what the sides are, so we offer these thoughts and a brief history to give people somewhere to ground their debates and to help people pick a side and move forward. Newer people might not realize we've hashed out these conversations a million times before and that there's a culture and a history behind the conclusions we've reached. It's important that people consider the different points in these ongoing debates, but ultimately, moving forward depends on choosing sides and acting. Occupy is an example of what can happen when we hash out the same debates for too long without moving forward. The broader Occupy movement stalled out, stuck in discussions about decision-making and nonviolence if they weren't forcibly removed from the camps. Here in Milwaukee, the conundrum existed of majority voting to decide on decision-making structure within the first few days of their existence, thus illustrating the larger debate was functionally meaningless because the question has been settled. Most people at the occupations were new to non-electoral politics and weren't familiar with non-hierarchical organizing. While some people learned about mutual aid, consensus, and direct action through the encampments, many more became frustrated or got bored and went home. Another perpetual anarchist debate centers on the merits of working through popular channels and social movements versus trying to drop out of society and capitalism altogether. Anarchists have chosen their sides, in any which way, on this already. When people show up and want to rehash that debate, it detracts from actual organizing. We waste our time justifying positions that have already been justified with years of concrete wins or losses, because the people showing up don't realize that we have had these debates and consciously made these decisions already. This goes from everything like glorifying train hopping and dumpster diving as revolutionary praxis, to dismissing and disavowing movements because they lack formal organizational structure. We recognize another facet of this collective amnesia is perhaps less serious, but still worth noting. 
Cultural references that we might expect all U.S.-based anarchists to know are not, in fact, common knowledge. We grew up listening to Against Me, debating your politics are boring as fuck versus your politics are bougie as fuck, voting for society in every anarchist news poll, and writing communiques about uselessly displacing every trash can and paper box we encountered. These in-jokes and references were collective knowledge in 2012, but they aren't anymore. There are young anarchists today who weren't alive when it came time to throw bricks through that Starbucks window, and people who weren't aware of the existence of anything left of the Democratic Party when Chris Hedges called us the cancer of Occupy. We should consciously make certain cultural references part of our collective memory, but we also need to ensure that our memory isn't a nostalgia acting as a gatekeeper for new anti-capitalists. Collective amnesia is exhausting and dangerous. We can fight collective amnesia by building a collective memory. We need a collective memory to adapt our struggles, lest we end up with the immortal science of creating endless front groups or, more likely, a clicky subculture full of informal social hierarchy. We all need to remember our recent history. We all need to remember what worked and what went wrong. We all need to remember the ones we've lost to the state. We all need to remember why we believe what we believe and why we work the way that we do. We need to collectively remember this so that we have a collective way forward. A lot of our experiences with building our collective anarchist memory came through individual oral histories. We met people who'd done stuff and they told us about it. It was simple, but it wasn't necessarily intentional. Passing on our histories as knowledge is critical for sustaining long-term movements So at the very least, we'll lay out a very brief contemporary history of anarchism in the United States. As with any history, this will inevitably exclude some perspectives and developments. We choose these based on our own experiences and revolutionary political influences, because we feel that each of these phases in anarchism deserves its own history and full explanation, we'll leave it to the readers to research more information on these topics they may be unfamiliar with. Our reasoning for starting our contemporary timeline when we do is as simple as the fact that they are movements which started when we were very young, or that we heard the most about when coming into the anti-capitalist movement. I just made a wild polo G type beat, and you guys need to hear this. Hello everyone, this is the topic of the week that was posted on the anarchistnews.org website. Uh, I'm here with Madison, I'm Vic, and then Spike is joining us today too. We're going to be talking about 
the topic of the memory hole that, yeah, you can see if you go on the site. And Madison's gonna read the prompt. In 1984, the memory hole is a small shoot leading to a large incinerator used for censorship. 1984's protagonist, Winston Smith, who works in the Ministry of Truth, is routinely assigned the task of revising old newspaper articles in order to serve the propaganda interests of the government. In one instance, the weekly chocolate rotation, oh, <laughs> the weekly chocolate <laughs> ration was decreased from 30 grams to 20. The next day, the newspaper announced that the chocolate ration had not been reduced to 20 grams per week, but increased to 20 grams. Any previous mention of the ration having been 30 grams per week needed to be destroyed. The memory hole is referenced while O'Brien tortures Smith. O'Brien produces evidence of a cover-up by the party, exciting Smith that such documentation exists. However, O'Brien then destroys the evidence in the memory hole and denies not only the existence of the evidence, but also any memory of his actions. Smith realizes that this is doublethink in action, as O'Brien has actively suppressed his memory of both a politically inconvenient fact and his action taken to destroy the evidence of it. Um, that's a quote from Wikipedia, and then it goes on to say, The memory hole, or memory hold, has become a term for when powerful institutions censor inconvenient or embarrassing things about themselves. The implication is that those institutions do so intentionally and often, that some secret cabal has instructed them to do so. But even a conspiracy theorist can get some things correct. We know that inconvenient and or embarrassing facts are regularly omitted, covered up, or allowed to perish from active discourse. But how often do we look at our own spaces and inspect them for similar phenomenon? Anarchist media may or may not memory hole anything intentionally, but in a passive way, some things certainly do seem to fall down some sort of memory hole and never climb their way back out. There are significant events in our past that could still be relevant, but for some reason are rarely brought up now. Whatever happened to the debate over Smack a White Boy Part 1 and Part 2, for instance? How about all of the mischief Brandon Darby created? Have we already passively memory-holed Anarchista Goldman, a candidate for the memory hole if there, if there was one? There are plenty of other examples, I am sure. What are we to make of this anarchist memory hole? Is it good to let some things slowly flicker out of our collective memories and discourses? Are important things going to somehow keep themselves in our minds, or do we need to make an effort to remember them from time to time? Is the present situation we are in made up of only events we remember, or are the events we don't remember and don't want to remember just as causal? Should there perhaps be guardians of the memory hole? What do y'all think? Well, I guess the question brings up for me about what what are we turning away from? Like the things that embarrass us, are they... Are they as important to remember as the things... It's just what the question says. Are they mm -hmm. as important to remember as our most inspiring acts of heroism or uh, things like that? Yeah, I mean, kind of makes me think of this, like, in, uh, I think, last week's podcast, they were talking about, uh, like, informal structures and stuff. And it's I think similarly, maybe it kind of plays a, some kind of similar role where events actually do shape our like collective existence or like individual experience or whatever but we're not willing to name it explicitly as like something that happened because maybe it's embarrassing or it just feels better to forget or at least not to name it even though like like i guess the argument in in last week's podcast about this informal versus formal structure thing is that it's easier to deal with something if you just name it even if it's shitty and by allowing it to exist and influence you but not allowing yourself to name the thing is actually giving it more power than it would have if you named it. So that's what you're what you said makes me think of what do you think, Spike? Um, it kind of sounds to me like the Freudian answer would be something like whatever you repress or whatever you don't want to look at um, just comes back up sometime at some later date. Maybe it comes up sideways or in a way that you're not expecting. Mm -hmm. And so the events that we turn away from or are embarrassing or whatever those experiences we have that we maybe are not proud of definitely i think shape what our self-understanding is maybe if only at a yeah when they when they pop up when we're not expecting them to or something well it's kind of like if you've been an anarchist for long enough you've probably seen different iterations of the same thing over mm -hmm. and over like the same theme of I mean, and that is to say, we're not fixing the problems, or the problems keep coming up, or whatever. Um, but, you know, there's kind of, like, people, you know, trying to approach the, like, an issue that they see in the same way, and maybe making the same error or thing that undermines their project, or there's all the holes still exist hmm. in their theory, or etc. 
on that point, something that I've been thinking about a lot lately is how some of us that have been around for a while have seen similar things happen more than once and play out the same way over and over again. And as we continue to age, something that I end up forgetting all the time is that all of us are coming from different contexts and have different amounts of access to the memory of those things, especially younger people. Mm-hmm. And then, so then, you know, the question of the importance of memory or sharing memory or whatever comes up, if we're trying to get out of a situation where we're just ending up in the same situation over and over again. It makes me think that it's kind of hard or it's rare that those memories and lessons, I think, get passed down in a way that's acknowledges complexity rather than it. Like if it's a story of anarchism, it's always like, I think, talks about itself as this like kind of in a legendary way in which it's like trying to persevere through all these things. It's the kind of like tendency towards freedom that's being attacked from all sides but i think it's less often acknowledged that that tension exists within itself as well and people within anarchy betray it often and it's not just like this action movie-esque like protagonist you know in history and and i mean that's even you know like the way people talk about their own lives sometimes like flattens a thing into uh just their side of the story which is, I don't know, I think maybe we're kind of conditioned to talk about or stuff like that. But if we're trying to pass down these kind of lessons that we're talking about, I think it makes a lot of sense to include the complexity in our part in fucking something up or, you know, whatever, like taking some kind of L or um, whatever the thing is. Like just things are more complicated than a fucking action movie, you know, with a protagonist and a, an enemy or something. Mm. But those things are more uncomfortable to talk about but if we're gonna i think yeah passing things down which i think is really important and i've been thinking and talking about this a lot lately that if we're gonna or if i'm gonna be engaging in doing anarchy long term and feel like it's a worthwhile thing i want it to be a longer project that i feel like i'm creating some like a uh, multi-generational thing that can outlast me or you know is like hopefully i can recognize ways it was happening before i was here and after i'm gone and i think if i'm gonna try to do that i want to include the parts of the lessons i've gotten that acknowledges my own like shortcomings or fuck-ups or something you know because like there's as much to learn from those things as there is uh from the stories of victories or betrayal by outside forces or something Mm. something else that has that is related to what you're talking about that i've been thinking about is what is the nature of the memories that we share and pass down and this is something that you were just alluding to a little bit with how do we reckon with our failures or uh, our mistakes or some individuals, but also more than individuals. And something that I've been thinking about a lot is the way in which, you know, a lot of the memory that we get, for instance, of a time like the 60s comes, some of it, you know, if we're lucky, comes from elders who experienced that firsthand. But a lot of what we get comes, you know, from books or from art or from these ways that we, you know, outsource media or outsource memory to media. And I've been thinking a lot about just when I look at who is writing anarchist writing these days, I'm generally like, wow, this is what people may read someday. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's all kind of garbage. And I think about when I read stuff from the 60s, I'm like, it's kind of crazy to me that there are 60s or whatever period. A lot of the people that were doing and, you know, living in like crazy conflictual in crazy conflictual anarchy land never wrote a thing and maybe guarded those the memories of their experiences for themselves out of you know whatever security or fear or you know just having a different understanding of the point of passing something down it seems like a memory hole that things fall into sometimes yeah definitely the people that are concerned with creating a perception a certain like historical narrative in anarchy or outside of it are the ones that get to leave behind the kind of artifacts that like the people after them can reference or turn to for like accessing those memories and that's a good point i haven't thought about that that much but definitely i'm like pretty um feel pretty critical and antagonistic towards people that are prioritizing creating these narratives rather than actually engaging in something that feels meaningful in itself you know in terms of doing anarchy or what i don't know whatever that's that's pretty vague but and it's it is interesting to think about that those are going to be the people the people that are prioritizing that now are going to leave behind the stuff that probably ends up getting read in a few decades or whatever 
but maybe it doesn't matter i don't i don't know i mean there's like a critique of written record in that too you know and like the influence of that versus just passing stuff down to talk by talking to people that were actually present totally but yeah that's kind of whack to think about i honestly haven't thought about it that much (laughs) i appreciate you bringing it up it's it's like yeah if that's the thing when i'm old if the anarchists are like the young anarchists are like reading the stuff that's getting put out by like the anarchy influencers on twitter and whatever like social media right now that's like the thing left behind that everyone's reading it's gonna make us look really bad first of all but then also give a pretty inaccurate account i think of what's going on maybe but i don't know what is an accurate account also maybe that's all pretty subjective as well but and I mean, also like the final word or whatever is they don't, there is no like final word. And even, you know, I feel like often when I'm talking to elders, I'll be like, oh, what did you think about the way this person told this story that you also, you know, were around for or whatever. And often they'll be like, oh, that, that person's a joker. <laughs> that person's a clown. But it begs the question, I guess, about what is the sharing of memory for? Is it for, you know, for some people, it seems to be like, like kind of a lot of the ways that George Floyd uprising has been kind of like cannibalized by different theorists or whatever is like is the point of memory to just convey it and build social power for you Mm. or is it to is it to share on like a more personal basis with the people that are in your life or is it to pass down to other generations or is it for you to reflect on your own experience in your life and what it means to you it's it's probably all of those things right like for different people Mm -hmm. um i'm sure that you post that because that is the truth (laughs) but um i was thinking about how um i have a friend who you know likes to revisit the story of things and it just in hindsight perspective of like the social dynamics and the place that i lived 10 years ago or something will be is really able to be like and do you remember this thing that was happening and then this conflict and why that conflict was informed by gentrification, like really has like the lineage and the interpersonal stuff all Mm. in play and really Mm. clearly can like articulate every embarrassing thing, right? Like, I mean, and some of it's like, you know, the highs, the lows, it's not only the embarrassing stuff, but I guess that's what I thought about when I read this is I'm like, I feel pretty aware of a lot of embarrassing things that have happened or things that I wouldn't want to repeat or dramas I got mired in that I, you know, I see other people get mired in similar dramas or whatever. And like part of that is we're all figuring out how to be people and we're all figuring out how to like do liberatory things whatever that means to each individual and that means there's a lot of clashing that's gonna happen Mm. and the clashing is usually where the embarrassment lies or the lack of clashing right like some you're Mm -hmm. passive and you let someone do something like coercive or Mm. just atrocious or you have no idea how to change something or you know what i mean so but i think that often yeah, this person, my friend who, who is able to articulate that, it's like, I think it's, it's like a useful service, right? Because I, I do the opposite. Like when, when they start telling the story to me and I'm hearing about like these people versus this person and this squat had this beef with this one and like this social space had a war with this social space, like this whole thing. And I'm like, well, I really glossed over that. (laughs) (laughs) Like, like I'm like, oh, yeah, like, in my mind, I'm like, oh, yeah, there was a little bit of tension, you know, Mm. and it's like, no, there was not tension, there was like a battle. (laughs) (laughs) But, which is just, I guess all of it is to say it's like, both are kind of important, I think, like, if, if I was so bogged down by all the like, failures, or the ways that we did things wrong, it's like, I'm not gonna feel like I can experiment or do anything. You know, like, so there is, I feel like a function served by being like, yeah, I don't remember all the nitty gritty details. I remember feeling like something was possible, conflict got in the way, um, and it made some things less possible, you know, and then the moment fizzled or something, right? Mm -hmm. Like I have like the kind of broad strokes and I think, but then when I talk to the person who can remember in like very crisp detail, I, it kind of all comes back together and I'm like, oh yeah, and I felt like there was this possibility and that didn't work out because of this, or I didn't even consider this, but now, you know, going through 
like this one rebellion or like yeah the, like you said the george floyd rebellion we see that like that has been expanded in all of these ways and we thought this thing was really big in like 2004 but like mm. now in 2023 that would have looked like nothing you know <laughs> so yeah. i mean i guess i'm just really using a lot of words to say something trite which is that you know probably the answer is somewhere in the middle like you need to you need someone to remember all of the things that are a little bit cringy or that don't you know work for us anymore and you also need someone who's like oh yeah we try we fail we try we fail we try we succeed it's fine mm -hmm. <laughs> you know like you kind of need both <laughs> or like and many other types as well it reminds me of um and against history he talks about um the role of oral history and then how that was affected by scribes you know that would keep track of history that were like they had the specialized role you know like compiling a history of a of a people or whatever of a, of a civilization and that when people relied on oral history it was a lot harder to memory hole something because there was too many people that had memories and even if their memories were different there was like a kind of collective responsibility to keep track of things because there was no way to or maybe maybe even if there was a way there would just there wasn't a priority to keep it all written down by one person and have like this is the book of our history or whatever and that when that became a thing and there were scribes uh that also became the time when history could be changed by people in power so yeah i mean i definitely think it's like it ties back to what we're talking about um about currently anarchists that are constructing narratives or are internet influencers or whatever playing the role of these scribes and they can they actually have the power to change the way history is going to be remembered or like the the events are remembered right or utilize those things to get social power in one way or another or expand their power and that if if that the role of passing these memories down can be decentralized and kind of dispersed out to as many people as possible i mean it's also just more fun i guess that's the other thing too right like it feels more joyous to talk to a couple or a couple of different elders and have one of them call the other a joker and have conflicting stories and you're like what's going on there there's clearly like some shit happened where their their uh their thing is doesn't quite add up and there's some tension there that kind of tells you that to every story there is uh the crafting of the story is like a, a story in itself and maybe that gets lost when you have these scribes or whatever yeah, it's like when you walk out of a movie with your friends and they're like, oh, you know, I thought this it was about this. And you're like, you thought it was about that? <laughs> Man, I, I thought I got a completely different thing out of that. Mm -hmm. Yep. Or shit, <laughs> you, you walk out of a riot and you have a similar conversation and people have one one person will be like, whoa, that was so sick. Like, you know, just be like blown away or whatever. And then another person is like, that was fucking terrifying, you know, yeah. and just have like opposite experiences. And that's like those are all those things are true and are it's like makes for a more interesting world i think when we just share stories with each other and accept all of them kind of as individual versions of reality rather than refer to like a scribe basically you know that can memory hole whatever they want and it's like you're handing them that power to do that i don't know what that means i don't know what is to be done <laughs> <laughs> tell, tell, tell more stories um to each other i feel like i feel like that's probably a good a good idea <laughs> and i feel like i do that what are the commenters saying no no we're not we're not going to include the commenters in the, in the conversation i guess that's a whole other uh, team of scribes Oh, well, the person who wrote the thing says, the memory hole isn't simply censorship. The memory hole is when something people really do remember is hidden. I feel like in my lifetime, the, like, Iraq war stuff feels like it got memory holed or something. It feels like yeah. the, the details of, like, how kind of crazy it was when everyone found out that it was all based on a bunch of lies you know and it, like, was, like, mainstream media was actually reporting on that. That's, like pretty crazy i think 
it was for me at least and it felt like it was a it was a pretty big deal and i think maybe now that gets left out or something it's like we the the country literally went to war based on some complete bullshit for money and it like i mean that's seems to be always the case but like that actually came out and there was there seemed to be consensus on that and now it's not really talked about but i don't know i mean it's there's just also so much i mean the other memory hole is just the abundance of information i feel totally. like where the thing that's described in the 1984 example is intentionally changing stuff i feel like now you don't even have to change stuff you just put more stuff in if there's so many like the internet is just so saturated with bullshit or not i mean it's just you can't even tell what's going on you know so you don't have to memory hole anything if there's 10 million takes on a thing and all of them or a lot of them seem to be based in reality or fact or something or at least it claims to it just is like and you don't know where any of it is coming from really it's just it's a whole the whole i think the whole internet is actually just a memory hole or some kind of hole definitely a hole <laughs> yeah it's interesting to think about like to some things yeah why 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 do some things drift out of out of you know us talking about them or whatever because i mean i guess that's what would constitute something going into the memory roll is basically just that we don't talk about it anymore right mm-hmm. and it's like maybe maybe some things are just like kind of not that interesting to talk about <laughs> like honestly when i was reading the this is this is maybe spicy or whatever but when I was reading the prompt. I was like, "Is is it actually that important for us for anybody to continue to grapple with the complexities of what happened with the Anarchista Goldman thing?" <laughs> like, like, I actually don't really think it's that. Like, that's I'm fine. I would be fine forgetting that that happened. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's true too. Is there is there a reason to remember everything, or like, should we feel bad about forgetting stuff or something? Yeah, I mean that's a good point. But it does make sense to also remember some things. <laughs> <laughs> I think that 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 might be the real spicy take. When it's helpful to remember things? It is sometimes helpful to remember certain things. Wow. Yep. Which ones? Oh shit. Well that's I guess that's the question. That's the real question. Mm. Hmm. Food for thought. <laughs> <laughs> Mm. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Put this awkward silence into the memory hole. <laughs> yep, yep. Well, I think it's just hard to talk about it because I feel like what feels worth remembering for me might not feel worth remembering for you, and it is just subjective. And so maybe it is more centered toward people who have more influence, like the, like whatever like mediators of these websites or whatever that have more sway on the narrative but i'm not sure does that make sense like it feels like i don't have control over what is memory hold totally so does that mean no one should have control or does it is there a problem with someone having a lot more control over what gets memory hold i mean yeah there would be a problem with that but like what i'm what i mean that that already exists so is that a problem it's a different it's a different topic yeah, it, it feels like this could also go a whole other way, which is like, have we always had this poor of a memory or certain things that are happening now making our access to memory worse? You know, like I know for me that my memory has gotten a lot worse since I started having a smartphone and, you know, started becoming comfortable with outsourcing certain parts of my memory to it, you know, and like maybe maybe that's a wider trend than, than just me. And so then these questions of who has control over what is available to memory is, becomes more important. Because mm. we're um, all relying on, the, on like the same thing or something to keep the memories for us. Yeah, yeah. Basically, it's like if our ability to recall things is, gets more and more attenuated, then maybe it, maybe it becomes more important to talk about what Madison had brought up. What I'm hearing in all of this is that it means it, it's a worthwhile thing probably for us to try to remember things that are important to us and then talk about those things and then try not to rely on people that are producing collective memories for all of us and like not rely on like a central database or something, you know? 
Write just your own journal, your own I mean, daily yeah. journal. Yeah, I mean, that's an important tool that I do not use or have, but I feel like probably would be useful if I did. Yeah, how cool is it to be surprised by memory, you know? Yeah, it is nice. You can kind of, like, feel... Uh, or for me, I, 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 when I have read stuff that I've written, like, a long time ago, I kind of... It feels like I get the feeling of being that person again or something for a second. Like, I feel what it felt like to write the thing down. It's pretty cool. It's like it's like some time glitch, it feels like, almost. Or it can. Well, it actually does feel like a hole for me. If something... Like what my friend who describes these stories, I remember listening to the story, and then I can see myself in those places, having the conversations, trying to do whatever I was trying to do in that in those moments of conflict. And then I'm like, wow, that was just in there, but completely unaccessible. And now here it is. It's, yeah. It's... Uh, unearthed i wonder what it would be like if in anarchy world there was people that were just designated storytellers or something and there was like kind of a lot of them i think there are yeah yeah i agree with you i think there are but what if that was like a thing it was oh, you like, mean like a job <laughs> yeah and like we, we paid them and model caps they're, they're uh, like centrally appointed by a governing yeah. body <laughs> well me of course but yeah um they got vegan mush so and... you had scribes that you trusted that would be the best thing to have happen <laughs> it wouldn't be the worst thing <laughs> uh, I see. no i mean i don't know it would be cool if it was like like a i don't know like there are roles right that become almost formalized where it's like the frontliner for example is something that comes to mind where it's like there's these people that are like on the front lines of these big battles or whatever and then there's like the medic people i'm thinking in the context of street shit obviously but like i think it goes outside of it right there's also like mutual aid people there's prison sport people all kinds of people and i wonder what it would be like if there if it was a normal thing to also have storytellers that weren't like I mean, we have that because people write stuff, but what would it be to just have people that are like, no, you go, you like go to this person's house and they like can tell you the story of stuff. And they, it's actually a role that they play in the community as like a holder of these memories. And there's like multiple of those and maybe the stories are conflicting. Like that would be really interesting. Um, I think that that does already exist. Like you're saying, Madison, there are definitely people like that, but maybe it'd be a fun thing to name them as that or something and be like, you're actually like, you're playing a role in the community that's like important and is like worth naming, you know, and reproducing maybe or something. Mm -hmm. Maybe not. What do you think? spike what i took away from what you said was that it would be cool if maybe culturally there was more of a tendency for people to have this storytelling time yeah and also to have people designated as storytellers like in every community like yeah i don't know i kind of feel like we do a fairly good job of that at least i don't know in this like informal way where it happens and it's also like the way some people tell stories is you know, in our, even in, in friend groups that we may have is like either boring or wrong, or you like listen to the story and you're like, that's not how it went. Uh, <laughs> and then there are some people who are, you know, maybe more captivating or have like more interesting takes on whatever it is that happened or they're funnier. But I kind of feel like maybe I'm lucky. I feel like I, there's lots of that around mm. that I see. That's good. Yeah. For me. <laughs> that's good for you i mean i guess that exists in my life as well it's worth seeking out i think having those kind of conversations with people that have stories and have been around for a longer time is worth just even for the the experience of hearing them even outside of trying to apply that knowledge or those lessons to your own experience is just like fun and feels meaningful to hear those things i think totally i mean that's honestly i feel like in recent times i've reached out to elders kind of being like you know like trying to start a correspondence or whatever and i feel like the way that i'm called upon to ask to start it is to be like hey you know like cross-generational bonds are important for Mm -hmm. the continuity of our tradition and also but also like i mostly just kind of want to hear six stories of what things were like just because it's cool to hear stories from people who have you know laid the groundwork yeah it's also like for me feels like um some kind of fuel to my own imagination of the way my life could go or something. Mm-hmm. Hearing stories of people doing things like making their own path or whatever, like, you know, leading these lives that are maybe more risky or 
more imaginative it's like empowering you know to try to do that yourself i definitely like when i was probably 18 or 19 i met somebody that was late 30s and i heard that person's stories and then also just saw the way they were living and i remember it having a huge impact on me because i was like damn i don't have to have some kind of normie life or whatever and i don't have to like go go to college or whatever like this person's a fucking weirdo and it's awesome and i can be a weirdo like <laughs> like this person too you know or like be my own kind of weirdo like and hear the stories of their life like was pretty uh impactful I think having those examples is like a big deal, or at least it was a big deal for me when I was young and kind of pretty bummed about becoming the kind of adult that I saw around me and didn't really, wasn't really excited about growing into. And luckily I don't think that I did. I am a weirdo now. (laughs) (laughs) It was great talking to you too. For sure. Yeah, you too. Thank you everyone for listening. You can choose to put this in a memory hole or not. Talk to you next time. Have a good one. This week's podcast was sound edited. What's new is written by Chisel and read by Chisel and... Gassy. Yeah, poor Gassy. We hope this podcast is useful too and fun for anarchists and the anarcho-curious.